Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs>
how do how do we write around it? You know what I mean? Like we know right. what it is. And that's what I'm sort of getting at. Like how do you write around a secret, especially if it's a secret you don't know? We should send an email to Keith Baker and bother him because he yeah, seems to do this a lot with Eberron. Yeah. As you were saying, he really seems to like to dig around and leave a lot of secrets. Right. So, but he but you know, he insists he doesn't have the answers, which I guess is is fine for a lost city or a missing temple or most of Estorok in this case. Um I guess I guess then that just becomes a debate. Do we make the nature of Iliaster a secret? Maybe that's too big of a thing to leave just sitting out there. Maybe half a secret. Maybe it's half a secret. Right. They know sort of what it does, but they're in the process of figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. So if you and I come to the conceit mm. that magic has a source, yep. be that Iliaster, be that something else, there is a source. There's a there's a cosmic pool of magic. Mm -hmm. That magic sometimes manifests as deities who yep. then channel that magic into followers as divine magic, priests, yep. spellcasters, paladins. Mm -hmm. Arcanists, the difference between an arcanist, a wizard mage, yeah. and a holy caster, cleric, druid, something like that, or maybe even there's other parts of this, is that a cleric casts magic through their god. Yeah. So the, their, de their deity acts as a filter for the raw magic. Mm -hmm. And a wizard or sorcerer pulls it from existence itself. Yeah. They bypass the god aspect, yeah. and they just pull it themselves. Right. And I, I, I think I supposed last episode that maybe there's something like an X factor that some people... And know. I loved that idea, like, like an X gene. Yeah. So... If an X gene or X factor, whatever you want to call it, allows for sorcerers and wizards, they are the ones mm -hmm. that have that innate ability. Yeah. Wizards train, sorcerers shoot from the hip. Yeah. And I was thinking about it like, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk in 5E terms. I'm going to continue to talk in 5E terms because mm -hmm. this isn't getting published in 5E. However, whatever system we eventually end up settling on is probably going to be, honestly, pretty 5E equivalent. So I have yeah. high hopes for Project Black Flag at Cobalt Press, yeah. that we will be able to kind of smoothly dovetail into that. I think but, everything's going to settle into kind of like a highly technical 5e hybrid on one hand, or things that just go extremely story-driven. I think there's going to be kind of mm -hmm. two dominant ways of play that'll really right. settle in. So, but I was thinking about, in terms of 5e, I was thinking about warlocks. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea that a warlock is someone who doesn't have the X factor. Yeah. Still wants magic and power, but doesn't have the X-Fire on their own, could not become a wizard or a sorcerer because they don't have that innate ability. Yeah. And so, and they don't want to get it from a god because mm -hmm. they don't want that god-filtered magic. Yeah. They want the arcane raw magic, so they make a deal Yeah. with a magical being that allows that magic that so they they connect with some higher being that has like an uber version of an X Factor who then acts as a conduit for warlocks. So I'm not usually a warlock guy, <clears throat> oh, um, but what, what does the patron get out of it in general? Well, that's up for you and your dungeon master slash game master to decide, usually. Okay. I see. Um, some people play, and it, just like with all things, I have seen the play on warlocks to go to either ends of a spectrum. Either it is completely not touched. It's just, mm -hmm. no, this is just my power. I just get it. Yeah. It's that's it. Or their patron plays a heavy role in the actual storytelling. Okay, so that's a that's a uh, a game master agreement. Like you know, so right. you as a player can come in 
um, and say, I really want my patron to be up in my stuff. Mm-hmm. Or you could exactly. also just go, listen, I just have a patron. I don't really want to do anything with it. Yeah, I just picked it because I like the power set it came with. Okay. Gotcha. And that's fine. That's, you know, different different strokes for different folks. Gotcha. Um, for instance, in uh, currently in Dimension 20s Never After, mm-hmm. Pin- Pinocchio is a warlock. And his patron is uh, Cinderella's stepmother, who is also the villain of the campaign, it seems like. At oh, this point, okay. it's still only seven episodes in. Oh, that's cool. And is a big part of the active story. Okay. They're actively working against the patron now, and they were working with it. That was the same way they did it in Critical Role in their second campaign with uh, Travis Williams' character. He was a warlock, and his entity that gave him his powers was Ukatoa, and they ended up fighting against it. He ended up becoming maybe a paladin. Mm-hmm. of the Wild Mother or something like that. He's shifted out of Warlock. Actually, they did it with Marisha Ray's character in this season of Critical Role. Her patron was Delilah Briarwood's spirit. Right. And they were fighting against it. So in a lot of the popular streamed roleplay stuff, Warlock patrons are an active part of the story. But they can also just be, I don't know, I want this cool power. So I okay. pick the deep. Okay. So if you're if you're a narrative lead you know, really active dungeon master, game master. I suppose you could work that in however you want. Gotcha. So that it's was a little a huge bit tangent more... about warlocks, but okay. And they just get a different, and maybe I would assume a darker um, spell set than, say, a cleric would. I mean, are they anti clerics in a way? Um, well, they're sort of like direct clerics, right? They just they, use they, a different set of okay. Different well, they're clerics that they are clerics that don't get their power from a god. Yeah, they get it from a devil, or... a fey lord. Some one of the, all those entities. There's a lot of entities in Dungeons and Dragons and role playing games in general that jump up to the line of deities. That that the line of deification is is very much a spectrum in a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. That I mean, this is I mean that's why in a lot of these games and a lot of the novels that they were inspired by, you have characters that gain so much power they eventually become gods. Okay. That's a very common fantasy trope. That gods are just beings that that promoted themselves through power gathering. Right. So in that sense, the the idea of the warlock patrons is just beings that are slightly lower on the scale than actual deities. Okay. So for instance, if we're talking about some of the things we talked about, some of the things we brainstormed in the past week, our second level of beings, which we haven't explained yet mm-hmm. on this episode, yeah. would be warlock patrons very okay. easily. Gotcha. So I see. Yeah. So talking a little bit about that, our tiers of of deities mm-hmm. we talked you brought this beautiful idea in in the last episode about deities that were trapped on estrock with mortals cut off from the source of their power even if it was just a, them their greater part of themselves mm-hmm. and now they are a weaker like shell of a god yeah uh very much the neil gaiman american god style yeah i loved that so much and it tied in with something else we discussed we had talked about how people on estrock when they apply their mind to the world, think, wow, there's got to be creatures that are native to Esterok, like intelligent mm-hmm. creatures, and they all think that, and it birthed a new creature. Over time, It birthed yeah. our, our Iliastrians, which you came up with the name of. So our first level of well. divine... Huh? The name does flow well somehow. It does. An Iliastrian actually is a really cool name. Yeah. It just like, I think cool it's the first and easiest naming thing we've done. Yeah. Yeah, and I've been watching... For a world um, that was almost urethra, 
Yeah, I know. <laughs> Hashtag someone's <laughs> using it. I saw it in Dimension I, 23. I know someone's using urethra, which like I said in the first episode, if you love it, you know, love it, embrace it. <laughs> I, so I've been Ilyastria. watching a lot of Vox Machina and I'm extremely jealous of Matt Mercer's ability to come up with names. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable. Sure. Like all of his and names they all are have, awesome. I'm... That's a conversation that is, I'd really want. I'm like, Matt, if you want to come on our podcast, we won't hashtag you. We don't we need credit. We don't need to pull and listen. I don't even care. Just tell us how you come up with names. How did you come up with all these names, man? It's unbelievable. Because they're great. They're so rich and they're so close to each other. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Iman and Taldori and, and all, they, they all fit together. You know, yeah. they sound like they come from a common, you know, origin. It's amazing. Well, and that might be it. I know that a lot of people, when they world build, will use, they'll go to Google Translate and they'll pull up Scotch Gaelic and they will base everything off of what they can read off of Scotch Gaelic words so that everything has a similar sound. Yeah, it's, it's, it works out amazing. Um, so yeah, so these, uh, I was referring to them as demigods, these partial gods that exist. Yeah, you know? that's, a, that's a good way of putting it. Because in my notes, I just put them as demigods because I've never fully understood what the difference is. I mean, it's a god, but less of a god. And well, in Greek mythology, it was half god, half mortals. Right. So I just called them demigods. Zeus was a giant man whore. Yeah. So, and rapist. God, Zeus was not good. Well, I mean, that is definitely one thing, like I've said before, that uh, Wizards of the Coast did really smart. They made their own with the. That's right. You said with mythic Odyssey of Theros. It's the Greek gods, and they're just awful, but not in those ways. (laughs) (laughs) They're awful in all new original ways. Exactly. They're just not rapey. So that's great. (laughs) Um, so we have on our tier of of holy beings, our mm-hmm. first level is Iliastrians, who are just mortals. Yep. They are mortals that genesis from the collective belief that they're, well, there's got to be a native intelligent species on this planet somewhere. Mm-hmm. Thus, Iliastrians are born. They have the look, I imagine them looking like Swamp Thing. It, well, they can, right? That, that's one of the choices is Swamp yeah. Thing. And I, and I just think that I would play something that looked like Swamp Thing. So, and I like... And I somewhere in my notes on one of my drives have a pinned idea that they have their own separate faith. Did I ever tell you that? Oh, one? probably. Yeah, that they would that they themselves believe in essentially what do they call them? The I think I just for placeholder the nomad gods. They're gods that they believe were originally that have been here on mm. Estrog forever, and that they walk the earth, and that's kind of who they reach out to in their mind. I don't know oh. if they're real or not. I don't know. I don't know. Well, and there there it's might not be idea, enough Iliastrians to actually create those right. things or manifest those things into reality. But that's a commonality that the Iliastrians all have. They come in with this belief that there's something that knows this, all the secrets of Estrock and it's out there. And it's why yeah. I, kind of, I, I kind of made them a little bit more nomadic in my mind. I don't know. I like that. Yeah. So we have our Iliastrians. Yep. The next step up is the demigods that you were talking about. Now, demigods mm-hmm. are f- fractions, splinters, segments, leftovers. They are yep. the two-day-old leftover low main of gods. Yeah. They are much weaker. However, they are, they would be cons- like, inter- again, if we were doing this in 5e, yeah. damn you, Watsi, yeah. uh, we would be doing these as high level monsters. These right. would be warlock patrons, high level monsters. And I love the idea that you had that some of them have gone off and created like their own separate area mm-hmm. where they exist in isolation. Yep. And some of them secretly walk amongst mortals. Mm-hmm. And many of them are trying to convert mortals to themselves to boost themselves back up to a power level that's acceptable to them. Mm-hmm. 
some of like the throwing out the idea that some of them might be like disguising themselves as their own high priest mm-hmm. just to go out and spread the word. I'm spreading the word of Jababla. Yeah. And these are all and, just, you know, great story hooks that we can just leave sitting out there. Absolutely. Which you know, is one of the things I love about it. Yeah. I liked the idea that I threw out that it would, when we were talking about it, that being a god that then suddenly was not a god would probably drive several of them insane. Oh, yes. Yep. So we're going to have some mad, awful, evil demigods, and some demigods who managed to maintain a semblance of maybe goodness or neutrality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I like that there's an entire secret society of once gods who are now just really powerful beings. Mm-hmm. And some of them are trapped, and some of them have morphed. Well, I, you know that idea going back all the way to Lord of the Rings that there were some angels, I don't know, Maiar, Valar, whatever, yeah, who look like wizards, and others that look like Balrogs, but they're essentially the same thing, depending on how twisted and evil they are. Of course, because evil has to make things ugly. Can we make a good god who's really ugly? Absolutely, because that is a trope I've never liked. That oh, if they're evil, they become ugly. Right. Either evil gods are usually either really horrifically ugly or super, super hot. Right, yeah. Well, <laughs> isn't that... well? Yeah, I'm the evil is. god of dad bod. Yeah, that's a that's huge philosophical see. question that just got put forth. I know, right? Why you do know. we insist our evil be either horrific or really I feel hot? like something did that. They did the opposite of that. I mean, they do from time to time, but not the actual gods. The gods themselves are... Either, either if they start off beautiful, but their true secret self is... Horrific. But it's hard because, again, we are always open to this is Estrox, so who knows what anything mm-hmm. looks like. Have you seen the movie Smile? Um, I've seen the You're trailer. You're not a horror sure. movie fan. Yeah, that's adequate. I mean, okay, they're smiling. Oh, it's creepy. Got it. I started watching it. I wasn't able to finish it the other day, but I started watching it, and it reminded me a little bit of this, that the that the monster, no spoilers, but the the the, the maybe monster? Where did you start watching Smile? From home. Oh, okay. It is on, I have an MGM Plus on my... Amazon that I'm assuming my child signed up for. Um, okay. Well, there you go. So that's okay. I was we able can to talk about it. It's streaming. Smile. It is on streaming. That it was is, our oh, rule. That's right. There <laughs> you go. It's streaming. It's Smile is streaming and it's out of theaters. Deal with it. Spoilers for Smile. Yeah. Um, I have, of course, read the plot of the movie because I do that for all my movies I watch. Okay. But the entity, it does. It's, a, it's an entity that chases basically tortures someone by showing up in a way that only they can see, causing them to do things that they wouldn't normally do, like accidentally kill their own pets and things like that, Mm -hmm. and driving them slowly insane, always appearing as someone from their past or someone they don't know with that giant, creepy, unnerving smile, which is also, I give them props because they never CGI'd any of the smiles. It's just the actors doing these really creepy smiles. Oh, okay. And then it reveals itself to you. You scream, it crawls inside your mouth, takes over your body and makes you kill yourself. And that's the plot. Okay. So I that I imagine that could be one of our demigods. Sure. We could do some really horrific, scary, like scary stuff with m- mad demigods. Yeah. Um, and I like the idea of taking gods that would have been like, here was one purpose. Mm-hmm. And this is what their purpose looks like if it goes through the lens of insanity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that because the idea that I told you before we started that came has a lot to do with madness and insanity. Okay. Um, is it demigod level, big god level, or Iliastrian level? Uh, yes. Okay, cool. But again, as always, everyone, listeners, a little bit half-baked, and generally comes up when I'm cooking. Apparently, I should cook all the time, and then I get I, ideas. It comes up I, a lot. For me, for More me it's than the driving. drive. I mean, yeah. I do on the drive, but I, you know. Hmm. 
Okay. Um, so my only notes I had about, are you, you know, that I had come up with the divinities was, um, um, I like my Congress of the divinity, the idea that some of these right. guys that just kind of join up and you get to a certain point, it just becomes easier. And when you're part of Congress of divinity, I have like, you handle basic prayers, simple blessings, mm-hmm. um, the kind of con, they become the conduits for the divine channeling. That would be like the religion, um, right. the primary religion, you know, the members of it are just, they're old, there are other demigods that kind of bound together for a kind of a greater good and the, and the ease of being a part of the, you know, of the system. And maybe being willing to work with those other gods in that way would be something unique to some gods and not other gods. Right. Again, these being entities that were being worshipped when the world was locked off. Right. Maybe that Congress helps keep them sane. Right, exactly. They get into it and, and they kind of do their day-to-day things. It's, you know, it's less work. You know, they, they're, not ne- they're never going to achieve the power that maybe they at one point had. Um, but... Uh, Not with that attitude, Josh. Well, it's work. Well, that's the whole point. It's work and it's steady, you know, and (laughs) and all of the worship from everybody who chooses to essentially visit the, you know, the, a a church. So they all have a divine living wage. Yeah, basically that's what it is. It's like, okay, so I could sit there and try to fight my way through all of this Estorac and deal with all the crazy stuff down there, or I can just stay up here on the colossal expanse with the various civilizations and I could serve these people and they in return serve me. And I always have a consistent level of power, you know, and that's Even how though it's not a fraction of what it once was. Right. And that's where you create kind of your, um, you know, it, it, it gives you the, the, it kind of establishes the corrupt clergy type thing. If that's what you want to do, if you want to, you know, I love this so much. Yeah. And they just kind of and, sit there. And it'll be really interesting too, because again, we talked about how some gods might meld together mm-hmm. that that could happen to our demigods. We yep. could have demigods that are slowly pushed and melded together. Um, and demigods who've forgotten their own names because the names were forgotten by the followers over yeah. time, over a thousand years with no access to old records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I also came up with like, a, you know, like when you were a kid and you would get like Bullfinch's mythology and they do like the God's family tree type thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They'd always show that. So I didn't, I did kind of like that. And I, again, these are just ideas to put out. Um, I had top of the order, you know, what I would call the Zeus or Odin, which I think I mentioned before would be like some kind of nature God specific right. for Astro because nature's everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Underneath that would be the hearth and home God. That was kind of a normal, you know, normally was supposed to make sure your bread came out, you know, your bread rises and, you know, your bed is comfy. Like that was like their original domain, but an Astrock, uh, the shelter and home became so much more and so much so more. So these important. are the demigods, right? Well, these, and... these, I guess I was almost seeing as the actual legit gods that actually run the day to day. Which um, would be our, our third tier that we haven't actually... Yeah, Talked I'm sorry, that, did I right? jump ahead? Yeah. No, no, it's it's yeah. fine. Because yeah. we have our demigods, but then the next level up was actual real deities yeah. that exist because people over the thousand years they've been on this planet have said, well, basically, God, there has to be a God here of, of nature. Look at yeah. this place. This has yeah. to be overrun with a God of nature. That must be that we should be praying to some sort of God of nature, whatever they're called. Right, so you then that, to keep us safe. Yeah. And then that has created the big gods, you know, the mm-hmm. traditional 5e, if we were doing 5e, the traditional gods and domains come at that third level, and mm-hmm. they have all been created fresh and anew over the past thousand years. Yep. So then yep. I will kick that ball back to you to talk about your hearth and home gods. and Right, so the hearth and home god this. would be what would normally have, you know, in a traditionalized, like, again, I always go to the, if you're talking pantheon, you always kind of go to Greek by default, but... Sure. Um, you know, so... So this hearth god, again, nameless, um, would would be a bigger deal than you would on another planet. A hearth god is usually kind of a minor, 
deity on sure. other things. Um, of course, I have my trickster god up there, which I think is huge for me because that the trickster god is the reason for. Remember, we had that conversation. Why are wh- why do you set up a dungeon with a bunch of traps? What's the point of that? Um, and worship to the trickster god was the traps, and it became sure. like this whole culture of creating random places, hiding items, making people go for them. And every time they trip off, you know, kick off a trap, it, this trickster gets something out. Of course, he also does the other usual Loki type stuff, right? Um, right. Yeah. Death would be a huge one because soul soul stewardship is a big deal on Estorok. Um, right. Because they can't go anywhere. So that's something we really have to discuss and deal with. Yeah. Because that's a maybe huge... a bigger topic than right now. Yeah. Um, because where do their souls go? There's no nowhere to run. There's no heaven, hells. There's no. There's but nothing. There's, but that, yeah. So pin in the heaven and hells thing. But um, and then celestial actually, planes yeah. and the nine hell, whatever. You know? Yeah. So then I had a um, a, another major god would have originally been maybe like an elemental. Sure. Because the elements are massive, right? Element, be, so elemental god. So yeah, that all kind of ties into our themes for the world. Well, that's why I kept trying to keep in yeah. mind. Yeah. Um. And then I don't know, where would we put in uh, the demon city we were talking about? So demons, I imagine... Okay, mm-hmm. so I ha- was thinking about the you know the demon devils. First of all, we need to come up with a name of a creature that's a melding of demons and devils. Yep. So we can have our demons, our devils, and then Oregal, who yep. controls them all, mm-hmm. who is something altogether new yes. and horrible. Yep. And he controls all the demons and devils, mm-hmm. all the fiends, yep. and... I imagine, and I thought just, I just had this idea while I was doing stuff that they would be the primary antagonists to the Congress of demigods. Oh yeah, for sure. But then that would also, give them something to do against. Yeah, yep. and also uh, like we discussed earlier, um, their city is built around in a constant struggle with aberrations mm-hmm. that because, are trying yes, to get through. Because even though we can't say mind flayers, mm-hmm. there was mind flayers, right? <laughs> There's but something I just like, like mind flyers and beholders. Right. Well, and I just like the idea. Well, see, I was thinking even like they're literally, I was said, we said aberrations, but I was also thinking like a piece of an elder God type mm-hmm. great old one. And, yes, exactly. and all the tentacle of Cthulhu got cut off at the same yeah, time. And, and, and the, there are aberrations and, that were traveling. And everything that's traveling through it. So then here was the idea that I came up with during dinner. And this is the half baked one. I'm just sitting there and I'm, you know, I'm sauteing uh, celery and carrots and I'm thinking about, and I'm thinking about Estorok and that it's giant. And I thought, well, cool, Cthulhu is a giant. Like he was massive. And I started thinking, what if this world had something to do with the elder gods, the outer god? Oh, what if those, what if these giant colossal beings, yeah, what if these giant colossal beings were not naming, um, were maybe... Maybe this was a homeworld. Maybe this was an Elder Gods. Maybe this is the remnants of a society. I mean, we always talk about Eldric power everywhere. We always talk about Iliaster being an Eldric-like power. Um, what if what if that's what if those are our giants? They're the Elder Gods. They're the the you colossal know. expanse was Cthulhu's driveway. Yeah, more or less something mm. in that neighborhood. Something in that neighborhood. Again, half baked. It just came up to mind, and then that's a constant struggle. Um, that's always, I don't know, just, that's my half-baked idea. And this is how the process okay. goes. I come up with that. I would wonder idea. how that would work, yeah, with the, oh, hmm, hmm. Well, so I started, I, wanna, I just started. I want to expound part, on that a little bit more. Yeah, I just started prior to this reading timelines of how how the struggle between the um, great old ones and the outer gods and how that all worked, what that all was. I mean, it's very, very, very ancient. And we always think of the um, elder gods and, and, and everyone and the great old ones and whatnot coming from a dimension of 
somewhere else. We never said where. We never, you right. know, um, you know, just just an idea to put out there. That was my. No, idea. I like that. And I and I just love the idea that demons are constantly again using D and D parlance. Though this wasn't OGL material, I can't say it. You know, in D and D, they always had the blood war. And I like the idea that you have to keep right. the demons somewhat busy. Otherwise, what stops them from overriding everything? Mm-hmm. Um, they're yep. destructive. They're chaotic. There's no reason for them to stay put unless there's a bigger fish, and they have to keep. I've been thinking about it. One of the demon lords from D and D a lot lately, mm-hmm. named Zugtimoy. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Zugtimoy is? I don't. In D and D, Zugtimoy is the demon prince who shares the same level of the abyss as um. Oh, what's his name? The demon lord of oozes. Oh, Je- Jubilex? Jubilex, yes. Okay, yep. So Zugtimoy is Jubilex's main rival. Zugtimoy is the demon prince S, prince of fungi. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so but for no there, particular yeah. reason, I've been doing a lot of thought about Zugtimoy lately. Yeah, and, and fungi would make you think about um, diseases, right? It sure would. And, you know, speaking of that, Random encounter. Do you like that opportunity for segue? <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> All right, like so we've established way. our three levels of gods, but yeah, let's do a random yeah. encounter. Yeah. Let's. So you are currently in in mm-hmm. the throes. Your white blood cells and your antibodies are currently fighting off variant LMNOP of yeah. coronavirus. Pick one. Yep. Let's talk about diseases and viruses and infections and because in medicine, medicine yeah. it's been a big part of the world for the past two years yeah. we were talking about armchair experts and epidemiology last week sure diseases are a pretty big deal and you know what i was thinking about is that diseases also tend to go along with travel mm-hmm. when you travel someplace you have to make sure you're vaccinated against whatever native germs would be there we know that when when colonizers brought over new germs to the North America, they, of course, caused devastation in native populations. And mm-hmm. so we've got a whole bunch of people who are stuck on a world, a world that is nature run amok. Yeah. I imagine that had would have to extend to diseases and viruses as well. Yeah, I would think so, for sure. Um, so from a design perspective, do you look at that? Do you play with that? What do you think? I mean, yeah, I think so, because we've had discussions. I kind of like the idea of um, medicine being more common on Estorok than healing magic. Right. Not that healing magic can't have a place, obviously, but I like the idea of medicine. And um, I also, you know, from my own uh, worldview, political view, don't hate the idea of people finding cures for everything they need in the um, natural jungles and rainforests around them. Mm-hmm. You know, just it's like, look, here it is. Here's the solution. I would really love to have developed a intelligence-based healing class yeah. that was... No, I studied plants. Right, I studied like, plants. I studied... Encyclopedically. Yeah. I studied plants' roots and the interactions of the enzymes within them. Yeah, and I studied and with the folks down on... You know, I studied with the herbalists down on the surface, and, you know, you know, I just think that'd be so cool. I studied with druids, and I studied with wizards, and I mm-hmm. studied out in the verge, and now I, I know that... Is that a healing potion? No, this is right. an antibiotic. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that'd be neat. I think it'd be a an, an more interesting way of doing things. Because I also well, like the idea that... Of, go ahead. Okay, go ahead. Well, no, I just like the idea, too, that um, because you are in a dangerous place, you know, maybe you cut that vine open and the acid burned you, but there's mm-hmm. this thing that can, 
you know, alleviate, you know, alleviate that acid pain, but maybe now your arm doesn't swing so good for a little while until we can get you to up to the right. surface near, near to the Congress of divinities and they can actually fix, fix your arm. But I like the idea that when you're out there, you need a medic, like a field medic when you're out in the verge. Real right. fixing, real fixing comes later. <laughs> and I imagine that they would be more common than clerics and whatnot yeah. and mm-hmm. druids. So I will admit that as a dungeon master, as a game master, I don't play with diseases very often. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if having your players roll saves and then coming down with a disease that makes it so they can't recover hit points, blah, 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 whatever. Whatever yeah. disease you decide to throw out there. I have never dipped my toes into running that with my players. Yeah. I always feel really guilty about it. I'm I'm just a very I'm probably too nice as a game master anyway. But well, the, you know, and as a player of any kind of game, even like think about World of Warcraft or any of those MMOs even, you know, just getting getting a disease is just annoying. Right, and I don't want know, to create an annoyance that distracts from the fun time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and being poisoned is uh, kind of annoying, you know, because there's usually yeah. it's just annoying. But I'm but sure I mean, some people love it. That's also the point of conditions. Yeah. You know, the point of being poisoned is to be annoying. It's supposed to add a layer of difficulty to increase the challenge of what they're doing. The mm-hmm. greater the challenge, the greater the feeling when you overcome it. But if I infect you with a disease midway through a dungeon with no hope of curing it until you're out of that dungeon, haven't I just screwed up your gameplay for like the next five sessions right in a way that's not fun right now if you're going to make the entire conceit of an adventure disease or a virus or something that's that's different you know where the the players would prepare themselves um also this ties the idea that i wanted to make a monster that was literally just a virus that mm -hmm. discovered a vein of iliaster and grew to human size well um when you were recently sick remember that's what i wanted to come up in the cronin or whatever it was like that (laughs) thing where it was our version, the our version of a beholder because yes, it would have all the, the spikes uh, sticking off of it and everything we and i still maybe we should still do that maybe we should just start doing some of these you know what and we'll just rename everything it won't be hit points it'll be health yeah it'll be you know yeah. we're going to create our own our own neutral 5e compatible language and then put out you know what we would imagine the stats would be yeah. that would be forward compatible backwards compatible with 5e yeah so so I don't mind, um, though I kind of, you know, going back to the the actual encounter itself, I kind of do, because, you know, I was just thinking you're saying, well, you're traveling from place to place. You know, if I go to Borneo right now, I got to make sure I'm inoculated for whatever's in Borneo. Um, wouldn't that be an interesting adventure prep if you're going into the verge and somebody was like, eh, I don't got the money for that, or eh, I don't want to, I don't got time, or they don't do it. That's you what know? I was thinking about. Should yeah. disease, so we already said this is a game about survival. A game where the whole point is the world doesn't want you there. You're stuck. Mm-hmm. Rock in a hard place. Yeah. Diseases could be in the arsenal of the world trying to fight against people being on this planet. Yeah. I mean, and ultimately, it's almost like they could be, you know, that we're talking about it, it almost seems like they should be as frequent as a frequent of a threat as like weather might be. That's what I, that's sort of what I was thinking is. Yeah. How would you feel if part of the world building of Estrock itself was a very very forward present theme of diseases mm-hmm. and bacterial infections and things like that. Is, is there germ theory on Estrock? Probably not, but something to that extent. Yeah. No, that'd be, uh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So it's gotta be a thing. It's got, I just imagine like, I also imagine virus elementals. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah. But is it, no, that's the thing. You know, if we're going to get from a design perspective is, is that, does that bring into too many elements? Is it, is it, is it confusing us? Is it creating more than we, is there a reason that it generally doesn't factor into a well, lot of lore and worlds, you know? In the terms of learning to design games, I think it would probably be better to over-design and then cut stuff out. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't want to... So I, I think we should develop everything and anything and then go, okay, yeah, maybe this is too much for this part of the... This is too much. We don't want this. Yeah. Okay. And then we can cut it out. But I mm-hmm. kind of... I want to put on the TBD list a bunch of stuff about viruses and Esterok. Yeah. About diseases and viruses and bacteria. And how it's, about, and how it's dealt with. Because, mm-hmm. it, you know, because... Um, medical facilities, uh, medical treatment could be another part of the safe haven of being outside of the verge. Right. You know, one of these. Options. Oh, you've got a really bad infection that you got in the verge. Mm-hmm. Well, you went in with the intelligence based healing class, mm-hmm. um, the opposite of a poisoner. <laughs> right. And, you know, the herbalist for whatever. We'll call it an herbalist for now. You go into the verge with an herbalist and you catch something. The herbalist. But what you catch is higher level than your herbalist can deal with. So your herbalist works to keep you alive and keep you functioning. But part of the story now becomes you need to go somewhere where you can get this healed. You go Mm -hmm. to Last Call. You go to the Druid's Grove. The Druids can't heal it. It's too high level for us. You go to uh, Point Reach. The clerics there in Point Reach can't heal it. It's too high level for us. Because they're, again, and so maybe this becomes like a one of the focal points of like your campaign is that, mm-hmm. oh, we have to go to the Congress of Demigods. Right. Which I want to come up with a different name than Demigods, but like, you yeah. know, but that's... Maybe... Uh, I also like the idea that going to where those Demigods live, that Congress that you were talking about, is yeah. dangerous. It's yeah, not that's something like that... The Mount Celestia of, yeah, and getting there is extremely hard. Getting there is hard, and it's also just, you know, they might be benevolent former deities, but they're still... I think that even a benevolent deity should still be dangerous. Oh, for sure. Yeah, totally. Because they should have like an mm-hmm. alien, like you say the wrong thing. Like Zeus is, I, I'm Zeus. Aren't I your friend? Yeah, yeah, I love your sandals. Those aren't sandals. And he lightning bolts you. Yeah. No, I, I don't know yeah. why Zeus is getting sassy about his sandals, but. Well, it's like in, um, uh, what's it called? Um, Love and Thunder. The gods. Oh, just yeah. Were completely they're, they're indifferent. Just, they're jerks. They're wankers. Yeah. They yeah. were still technically the ones that people looked up to, but they were just jerks. Because they're gods. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. So that was my random encounter idea. Then I think we, I think we handled it adroitly. Yeah. Especially so, the segue. It was the segue. I mean, yeah. without that segue, without it being teed up in that magnificent manner, yeah. I don't think it would have gone nearly as smoothly. Totally. It's getting hot. I think my, so, I think my spoons are running out. <laughs> so we have outlined our three levels of divinity and come up with some cool ideas for each. Yeah. And at the top of that list, we talked about our viruses for a random encounter. Mm-hmm. But at the top of that list, let's talk about gods, at, like real, real D&D gods. And let's just talk about it in terms of 5e because it'll just be easier. Right. I'm going to be referencing the section on creating a pantheon from the Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide mm-hmm. by James D'Amato, which we've used on this show before. Yeah. And he talks a lot about like different domains and things like that. And I don't think we necessarily need to think about that because we know that like nature. We want to have a nature god. They're going to have a domain of something like the forest, growth and decay, and, you know, that's fine. Yeah. But what I did think was interesting is he has this idea called aspects. And aspects are five different aspects of gods that you then, he has a chart that has, you assign a level for each aspect. 
and maybe all of the gods on your planet all have a similar, like there's one aspect where everyone's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. There's one that's similarly strong. There's one where they're similarly weak. And there's one that's like everyone's within one or two of each other just to kind of keep your gods all kind of similar. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to talk through these five different aspects with you and talk about them in turn. Let's talk about our nature god. Okay. Okay. What's what's his name? No, I'm just kidding. No, no name. No name. And nature god is not a he or a she either. Yep. Um, the five aspects in James D'Amato's book is power, interest, passion, form, and thought. Mm-hmm. So power, his section says, not all gods are created equal. Some are titanic forces that play games that rewrite the laws of the universe. Others play games with mortal kingdoms and shape events that change the world. Some grant mild fortunes to farmers who bring offerings. So how powerful are gods? It starts at one, going from very narrow, specific focus, uh, little things, all the way up through level five, which is at this level, a god's power is cosmic and interwoven with the fabric of reality. So there's five distinct levels. If you were just to think about it, Mm -hmm. one, the level one being narrow, small focus, god of a particular tree, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote a lot from this book as we're talking. Level two um, is a god's power extending to dominion over a town or a forest. So mm-hmm. basically, what this kind of seems as is this is how big their power extends. Okay. Uh, at level three would be a god's power extending over large regions of the world uh, or broad concepts like wind or the sea. Mm-hmm. A god of the sea would be here because it's okay. not the whole world, but it's big parts of it. Yeah. And four uh, is entire planets, the entire planet. And five is cosmic, the universe beyond even the planets. Okay, so we inherently can't I, have fives, right? Basically, that's what I was thinking. Like there should, you said there should be one, one of these aspects you would want to set as a limit. So I think power is our limit. We can't ever have a god that goes up to five. Right. And honestly, yeah. most of our gods should probably stick around three, like the sea, the verge. Mm-hmm. And I think four would be like the world. <laughs> right. So if that's, so we, we don't know exactly maybe. So we're probably looking at most of our gods being around a two, three, or a four. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because the like four the would be. the trickster god. Yeah. The trickster god, the trap god would probably be a two. Right. You know? What would level was two again? Um, Either a specific town or forest or something like poetry or art. Okay, yes. I feel like traps would be in that too. So Mm -hmm. for our nature god, are they nature of all things or nature of the verge? What do you think? Are they all of nature? Is it in my mind, all of nature. Yeah, it's essentially a Gaia-like type deal. So that would be a four. Yeah. The four. Okay. Mm -hmm. The next aspect is interest. Interest. This aspect determines, okay, this is, again, a quote from the book, this aspect determines the focus of a god's attention between mortals and the divine world. Some gods care only for divine matters, keeping their attention on their fellow deities and their heavenly domain. Some shun the divine altogether and think only of the plights of mortal beings and material things. So how invested in mortals is our nature god? One, level one is a god has only matters for the matters of, only cares about the divine matters. Doesn't even think about people. They don't, like, we're ants. They don't even consider us. Two, um, a god will pay attention to mortals if they're forced to. Mm -hmm. Three, a god that values balance between heaven and earthly matters. Four, god cares far more about mortal matters than the heavenly ones. And five is a level of god's only concern is for mortals and material things. So I would say that, what was two again? 
Two was only if forced. They pay attention to mortals only if they're forced. To. I feel like a nature god would pay attention only if forced. Right. Or, you know, because like, I almost feel like while the nature god is at the top of the pyramid, there's an I also don't think there. there's an, I also think that there's a danger there. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily, they're at the top of the pyramid. That doesn't mean they like humans. Yeah. We don't need to make the top of the pyramid the one that, you know, but they definitely abhor. See, that's where I get a little stuck because I love the idea that, that it would abhor something that upsets the balance too much, which could be humans. Yeah. Sorry, mortals. Yeah, it could be mortals. Could be, and it almost always would be mortals, right? Whether right. they're making a deal with an elder god or a demon or something, and they're gaining too much power and they're fussing. But at the with same things. time, this god was created by the mortal beliefs that he they must exist. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine people would. Well, maybe they would. Maybe they would create a nature god that could be antagonistic because that's what they think a god must be like. Well, yeah. I mean, it would make sense too because everyone, you know, a. a a vast amount of the population is afraid of the verge and and nature and what it can do anyway. Sure. And what it's capable of. So we've got power level, then four, and interest level, two. Mm -hmm. Just just so we are. The next aspect is passion. This aspect divines a god's emotions and will. Some gods are deeply invested in their ambitions, reacting to defeat with violent outbursts and success with exuberant celebration. Others are detached and almost mechanical in how they interact with the world and with seeming no desires at all. I already I have a feeling where this one's going to go. It would be the seeming no desires at all, right? Yeah, the one where they're just like, I'm just nature. Yeah. Like, I don't have an agenda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My agenda is to continue. Picnic. Yeah, I don't care about your picnic. It's raining today. Yep. So one, gods at this level are dispassionate and detached. Gifts and slights alike are met with impartial reservations. Mm -hmm. If you curse me, I don't care. If you pray to me, I don't care. Yeah. Two, uh, God holds only a few things to be very sacred. Uh, Anything outside their specific interest is inconsequential. Mm -hmm. Without a deep understanding of their nature, they are nearly impossible to provoke into action. Ooh. Mm -hmm. That one sounds pretty nature God for us. So maybe a two, not a one. Three, yeah, most gods, so level three is most gods at this level appear to be capricious and uh, capricious to mortals. They're fickle and can be driven by their general difference between gods and mortals. Um, <clears throat> four, at this level, a god is deeply invested in all matters relating to their domain. They're like really into their stuff and really into their mortals. And five, uh, this god is a torrent of forceful emotions and desire. They go out of their way to follow their whims and shape the world what, come what may. Devil may care. Let me go out there and screw everything up. So... Yeah, this one definitely not the. Yeah, I'm feeling the two. Yeah, yep. Because I almost like, feel like the other gods that we would come up with would be, would be more aware of keeping that balance and just keeping the nature god doing whatever it wants to do. Like, let's right. not impede it, and then have the oh, other ones. Have, like it's almost like a like a per, lacking a personality, and we just kind of keep it happy. Yeah, and we need to keep it happy, and we need to make sure that everyone else is busier, so that you know when it does get annoyed or when it feels it needs to interact, you know, sevenfold storms happen. You know, mm-hmm. who knows? You know, people. Even are, though it couldn't have done the original correct. sevenfold storm, I, I understood that as right. I said it. But you know, that type yeah. of deal. Like this is not that everyone. I don't also don't like the idea of people walking on eggshells around right. this particular god, well. but not this one, not the nature one, not the aspect that kind of well, can. Yeah. But it is the I like that we're yeah. starting with our nature god. Yeah. All right. Only two more of these, and that'll okay. bring us to time. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Form. Gods have a vast range of possibility for form and presentation. Some are difficult to tell apart from mortals, and others appear as animals or objects. There are even gods that exist entirely as ad- abstract concepts. So a one on this 
is a god's form is abstract and complicated in ways that defy explanation. These gods could appear as numbers, words, a complicated idea, or a collection of interwoven forces. Their body cannot be touched or be held in a traditional sense. Mm -hmm. So this is just the aesthetics of that god. What do they look like? And then you all the way down to five. So two, um, God stretches the limit of a mortal's ability to comprehend form. They can be an undulating mixture of limbs, mouths, or eyes. Oof. Yeah. And so basically, one is nobody, com- just ideas. Yeah. Two is body that sounds kind of cosmic horror-y and unable to be processed. Mm-hmm. Three, nothing unlike any living thing, but still follows the rules of the material world. So... Okay, so... Giant, 20-foot-tall, golden humans would be at three. The Greek gods would be threes. Four, uh, this level of the god has a form of a living thing like a plant or an animal. If they have human-like qualities at all, they are mixed with other things, like a man with the head of a crocodile or a lobster with a human face. Oh, maybe I was wrong about three. Oh, okay. Oh, these gods can be stones, roads, statues, storms, and rivers. Okay. Okay. So the Storm Father from Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson, if it was a god, would be a level three god because it's a giant storm. Okay. And then five, at this level, a god is almost indistinguishable from a mortal being. They might bear halos or unnatural tones of skin or hair and other markings of divinity. However, that is not necessary. They can walk amongst mortals without notice. Um, I don't know that any of those really fit what I have in mind, I guess. But I don't know what I, I have in mind. I picture it as a one. Okay, I so it's like an abstract idea? It's an way. abstract idea in nature in that its form can appear in anything. Okay, yeah. Okay, so I guess I got... The voice, I I, the voice of the nature god... I hear it every night in the wind and the trees. Yeah, and like if it wants His to... His anger I feel in the storms at night. And if it wants to create a form, it could. And... Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I like that as a one. Okay, yep. Last one. Okay. Ready? Yep. Thought. What it is, is it? difficult for... Thought. Okay. It is difficult for mortals to understand the will of divine beings. Some gods think in fundamentally different ways than mortals do. There are some gods that resemble mortals in thought and action, but even there are uh, then... But even they are sometimes subject to ineffable whims. So at this level, a level one, a god is so inscrutable to mortals that it's hard to say if they think at all. At level two, this level, uh, god's thinking is understandable, but only in themes and patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't behave like regular beings and make choices that even devout followers struggle to justify. Okay. These gods work in very mysterious ways. Three, at this level, a god thinks in ways more in line with beasts than humans. Hmm. A mortal will most likely find the god's thoughts understandable if unnaturally brutish or alien. They don't Mm. think like people, but it's easier to see how and why. Yeah. Four, at this level, god appears to think like most sentient mortals to some very noticeable eccentricities. Perhaps they are too insistent on certain matters or social grace, or they're too pliable with certain types of flattery. They are understandable, even reasonable, but something seeming just a little bit off. All right. So that that one, to me, would scream the Greek gods. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they act like humans... But you you diss Zeus's sandals and he lightning bolts you. Yeah. And five is at this level, a god thinks exactly like a mortal person. Okay, so nature definitely doesn't because nature's going to have that. Nature's going to do what it's going to do. Exactly. It doesn't. If it thought anything like a human, then it wouldn't um, cause. It wouldn't allow a fire to burn. You know, crops. If Correct. That's, you know what I mean. So it can't think like that. I was thinking about that third level. At this mm-hmm. level, a god thinks in ways that are more in line with beasts than humans. A mortal will most likely find the god's thoughts understandable, if unnaturally brutish or alien. They don't think like people, but it's easier to see how and why. 
Yeah, that's that seems like raw nature. Yeah, I think I initially got thrown off when it said beasts in the description, but if I remove mm-hmm. that and I just kind of yeah, that's okay. Yep, that that would be it then. So then our nature god mm-hmm. is power three. Yep, over areas of the world, not the whole world, right? Or did we say four? The whole world? Did we say the whole world or areas of the world? I don't remember. Um, the whole world. The whole world. Okay, so yeah. power level four, interest level two. Mm-hmm. Only in, only if they're forced to pay attention. Yep. Uh, passion. Let's see. What did we say for passion? Ah, two. Only few things are sacred. Anything outside of their specific in- interest is inconsequential. Mm-hmm. Their form is a one. Very inscrutable. Yep. And their thought is a three. Yep. So from that, we now just need a name. We just need to come up with a name, and then we've got a we've got a nature god yeah, me, that was generated by the people trapped on Estrock. Let me tweet at Matt Mercer. Yeah, we'll, we'll tweet at Matt <laughs> Give me Mercer. A name, man. But you have nothing else to do with your empire of animated shows. Yeah. So we've managed to define three levels of divinity, mm-hmm. talk about maybe a possible aspect of the world in germs and diseases, mm-hmm. and outlined the specific power outlines using James D'Amato's work of our tip top of the pyramid of real god gods, capital G gods, with our nature god still to be named. That's a, that's a healthy amount of creation. Yeah, that, that a lot came out of here. So we can type all that up and throw it on the website. Um, yeah, we covered a lot. And I'll put that as a blog post, or I'll put it in the creation section with this episode. Awesome. Okay. Right, We're awesome. recording a little bit later in the week, so I'll try to get that done by okay. Monday. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. I so, what day it is. But <coughs> I think that's probably time for us. We're at 58 yeah. minutes. So All right. All right. So thank you so much, Josh, for suffering through you know you're probably not you don't have a lot of spoons at this point is my guess Yeah, i'm definitely running out of them at the moment um okay glad everyone could uh share in this moment (laughs) this pandemic (laughs) moment for me um i remember yeah i hope you and yours continue on a trajectory of improvement and feeling better it seems can't wait to see your beautiful faces in person again yeah it seems to be the case so all right well i will uh do we have to what do we what do we what, what do we have left here well, is here's, this is the part. This is the part in the in the in the show where I say, yeah. "Thank you so much for joining and and listening to our conversations." Mm-hmm. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to contact us at our website, uh, our email at uh, info at fourthpillarofplay.com or visit our website and peruse our creations at www.fourthpillarofplay.com. All spelled out. All spelled out. Not the number four. Yeah. You can uh, tweet us. You can Instagram us, and Mm -hmm. we look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to creating with you.